Hey, welcome to Wayfair. This is Aaron. It's week five of our Lenten journey. Each week, you'll have a chance to hear some good music and a story from somebody at Central. From doctor's offices to downtown dance clubs, we'll learn a little bit about each other and discover that we're not alone on this journey. Each week, we'll listen to scripture, pray together, and we'll remember places where we can join in God's work of peace and justice. It took six years and two schools to get me through seminary. And by the time I was finished, I felt like I knew a whole lot more and was certain of a whole lot less than when I'd started. Little by little, things that had been nailed down for me as long as I could remember came unhinged. Now, if you'll permit me to extend this domestic metaphor just a moment, coffee tables turned up in the kitchen, dining room chairs slid down the hallway, the TV was in the kitchen sink, the couch was on the back porch, and the fridge, well, don't worry, I could always find the fridge. But everything was in disarray. The more I learned about the various threads of thought and tradition in the Christian faith, The more diversity I found, even in the scriptures, the more I opened my eyes to see the spark of the divine and the other, the less I was willing to say for certain. Now I can talk a big game in podcast intros about being okay with mystery and uncertainty, but I'm still a pretty anxious person. But over time, this uncertainty became less unsettling and more freeing. I started to see that different ideas are not necessarily competing ideas. Changing minds is less important than learning to see from another perspective, and having the right answers is less important than opening up to the question. And the mystery, slowly but surely, is becoming more friend than threat. But if we leave the uncertainty and confines of having everything nailed down and neatly tucked away, what are we left with? What do we have to trust in? Well, our faith isn't in a book or a set of propositions, but a person. So in the end, we have presence. The promised presence of the divine in all things. The care and grace of God in the midst of any circumstance. The love that casts out all shame. The one who knows your true name and calls out the very best in you. The presence that sits with you in the midst of your grief and weeps alongside of you, the hope that wells up even when it makes no sense and helps you get up and go just a little bit farther, to look up and see the glimmer of possibility ahead, the compassion that calls you to look beyond yourself and see the beloved child of God in the other and offer help. So, listen to your heart, be attentive to the spark of the divine within you as we journey together. The world compressed and left his face Haloed like the moon My bones, they carried me treasure I knew This box all white and smooth Inside the sweet scent of the east And I will offer you 
at your feet well, They railed at my weak condition Wasteful and obscene But love stole all my inhibitions Left unstable tendencies. This box so wide and smooth inside the sweet scent of the east. Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped her feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscari, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained, This perfume was worth a year's wage. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag, and he would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, Leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in the preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have a poor among you, but you won't always have me.
Today, we're talking with Diane Campbell. Diane has been a member at Central for a long time now. She retired a few years ago after teaching in the honors program at the University of Kentucky. There, she taught a broad range of literature, from Homer to Shakespeare. She's married to Bill, who's also an English professor. And with two English professors under one roof, I asked Diane if they argue an iambic pentameter. Alas, poor York, they do not. You know, so often it seems that folks regard their personal experience as something definitive for the rest of us. And that's why it's refreshing to hear a story handled with such care. Diane speaks about a deeply spiritual experience with a grace and an openness that resists labels and exegesis. So rather than a demand for replication, we're invited to celebrate the unique. And we're reminded that we too can be open to the divine presence in our own lives. Here's Diane. Okay, so I was thinking about the uh, this morning, uh, looking at the John 12 passage that you mentioned, you know, when you, you asked me to do this. And uh, Mary washes Jesus' feet with the perfume, you know, she anoints his feet, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. And you don't see her um, voice is nowhere in that. You know, it's just... Here's what she did. Uh, and it seems to me like she was responding to Jesus, who has obviously responded to her and her family because they are friends. You know, she, he raises Lazarus from the dead. That her experience of Jesus is such that she wanted to do this amazing thing, and thing that was disapproved of, at least by Judas. And you don't ever see an explanation for why she did it, although Jesus comments, you know. To me, I would rather talk about my experiences, you know, things that have happened to me and, and why that connects with my faith, rather than say, I believe this. The story um, is about her experience and her responsiveness to Jesus, and I would say that's what happened in, the, in my story of having breast cancer mm-hmm. and uh, how it became the most alive time of my life, and I still look at it that way. It's probably about 97, so year I turned 50. And uh, I didn't like this doctor, and I kept going back to him. And, I, and that was the year, you know, he said, you need to have a mammogram. Because it's the first year, you know, that you're getting close to 50, you should have a mammogram. And so I had a mammogram, turned out fine, you know. And then he told me he wanted me to take hormone replacement therapy, which is, was really, really, everybody did back then. I had no symptoms. I didn't see any reason to do it. I just briefly argued with him that, I mean, suggested to him that there was some controversy about that. Maybe I'd do a little research on it. And it made him angry. I mean, he didn't. He was just clearly aggravated with me for that. And I said, well, okay, give me my prescription. And so I left and I never went back again and I never got this prescription filled. Uh, I decided I was going to find another doctor. Well, I waited a long time. And so I, I uh, wound up going to the person my mother was going to, but it took uh, about three months to get a, an appointment with her because she was uh, popular. She sent me to get a mammogram, so I would have one. Uh, about three days later, they called me and said, we want to take some more pictures. Would you come back? I said, okay. Well, I had heard before that sometimes things like that happen. It didn't really worry me, mostly that they were negative. So I went back and had some more pictures taken, and then I was waiting for the results, and then they said, well, the radiologist wants to do an ultrasound. So I said, hmm. And so I went and had the ultrasound. It was just a few minutes later. And she said, we're going to make you an appointment with a, uh, with a surgeon. Okay. <laughs> Why are you making me an appointment with a surgeon? Uh, but I thought that and didn't say it at first. And then, you know, I was leaving the room and I said, well, what do you think the chances are that this is cancer? 
And she said, well, frankly, Mrs. Campbell, I think this is cancer. So, you know, not a very good bedside manner, just floored me, you know. So, wow. um, uh, and so I had to wait around and get, they were going to give me my pictures to take with me to the, uh, to the surgeon. And so there I left the room, went and got in the car and drove home. And everything was the same, but nothing was the same. Because there I was, you know, with that, I had to go home and tell Bill. I had to figure out what I was going to do and who I was going to tell and what was going to happen. And didn't have the appointment time yet with the uh, doctor. Uh, I remember I was driving Chris's car, and I don't know why. He was in college at the time. And I don't know if he had borrowed the van, our, our minivan, or what, or something needed to be done with his car. But I just remember I was driving that little white Honda down the road. And just everything was just different than ever been before. I just looked at the world, and it was just different. I don't remember much about the rest of that afternoon. I know, obviously, I had to tell Bill, and we talked about what to do, and of course, we weren't going to tell anybody until we got the biopsy and had something more specific to tell people. And um, I don't remember anything about that day until it was time to go to bed, and I started thinking, what am I going to do? I've got to teach the Divine Comedy in this honors class tomorrow. How can I think about whatever it was, Inferno or whatever I was teaching? how am I going to sleep? You know, and we're not going to find all this stuff out. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to function. I'm going to teach my classes and all this stuff. And uh, so I was lying there, and then suddenly the room changed. You know, Bill was there, but I don't know if he was asleep. What? But anyway, suddenly um, there was this sense of peace and comfort that enveloped the room. And then I realized that it was coming from a specific place at the foot of the bed, there was someone there. And I hesitate to say that because, it, you know, to most people it sounds really strange. Uh, or there are other people, like some of my relatives, you know, you know who would easily say, well, I was an angel, I was Jesus. I was... There was someone there. And the peace and comfort was emanating from that presence at the foot of the bed. And it was powerful, and I have no doubt when I say someone was there, for me, that was the truth. And um, I don't know how long it lasted. I can't say. It was just that was happening. And then very gradually, I got the sense, well, now I can fall asleep. So I went to sleep. And I slept every single night perfectly. The whole, through the whole experience, through getting a biopsy, waiting for the results, surgery, radiation, everything that happened, I never had trouble sleeping, ever. So that was wonderful, wonderful gift. Um, and uh, and I didn't have the sense, you're going to be okay. I mean, you're going to be cured. I didn't, and it wasn't like some specific thing, but it was more like what the choir sang in the anthem this morning, which is all, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. It was like, whatever happens, you're, this is going to be something you can handle. We'll come back to Diane's story in a bit, but first, here's some music from C.J. Powers. C.J.'s been a pianist for a long time and was the church pianist at East Frankfurt Baptist for several years. She also serves in Central's Irish Town Ministry, and she keeps Charlie in line. Here's C.J.
Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the news cycle and forget there's also good news happening all around us. Here's a place that's bringing good news to our community. The Baptist Seminary of Kentucky devotes its energy to the formation of ministers who serve in churches, as chaplains, and as leaders of nonprofits. By cultivating the virtues, skills, habits, and pastoral imagination necessary for Christian leadership, BSK develops men and women who are spiritually healthy, theologically reflective, and practically trained for life and ministry in faithful witness to Jesus Christ in the church and in the world. BSK is affordable and has classes in both Georgetown and Louisville. If you are considering a call to ministry, consider taking a class or two and explore our campus. Find out more at bsk.edu. Now let's get back to our story with Diane Campbell. Uh, And it's not like I never had any doubts after that, because I did. But things would happen. I was teaching a literature class. I brought this little card with me to have the name of this work I was teaching. There was a woman named Mary Rowlandson, a Puritan in the 1600s, who uh, was briefly captured by the Wampanoag Indians. And she was like the daughter of a businessman who started this new town near Salem, Massachusetts. Her husband was a was the first minister of the town. She was total Puritan and total believer. Uh, and when she she was like for six weeks in their captivity, well, they were really interesting people. When she wrote about it afterwards, she had to try to put it into this Christian context because they were respectful of her and they shared. They didn't have much food, but everybody got food and nobody went without and nobody got more than anybody else. And she was treated the same way. But anyway, she wrote this thing called the sovereignty and goodness of God, together with the faithfulness of his promises displayed, being a narrative of the captivity and restoration of Mrs. Mary Rowlandson. Yeah. That's a so, title. Yeah, that's quite a title. <laughs> and of course, what she did was she went back, you know, and she talked about her experiences. But here I am reading this before class, you know, rereading some of it. Uh, so I would, yeah, I'd be able to go in the room, you know, and really be fresh on it um, and talking to my students. And there are all these Bible verses that just jumped out at me, like, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. These are things she put in because she said she thought of them while she was in captivity. But they were perfect for me. So it was like an extension of this thing, this peace that I felt. Here are these things that you need to think about. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. I guess this is King James, but it comes right out of the text of it. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, yet he hath not given me over to death. And these were just like they were in bold print or something and just jumped out at me. So that was another way that I was receiving the reassurance as I was going through this experience. Um, and then one, one day, I guess it was just, it was pretty early on, I had had the biopsy, but had not gotten the results yet. And they said it's going to be a week before we have the results or something like that. Several days anyway. And I was thinking, oh God, I can't stand it. I've just got really, I've really got to know whether this, I've just got to get on with this. And so I was in this parking lot at Bed Bath & Beyond or something, and this car that I got behind has a license plate that says, Endure. (laughs) It's like, here is your message for today, Diane. Endure. You can make it. You know, you've already had this experience. The very first night you thought you you, you found out you had cancer, you had this experience. You can make it. You can endure. Hmm. And it was the most alive time of my life. I just felt aware of everything and and um, in tune with with people and with 
with existence uh, and the whole time. And it really, and I will say it changed my life, and it did. And I still I see that as a really central time, the most alive time of my life, 1999, you know, <laughs> yeah. that that happened. Um, I wish I hadn't gone back to being petty and worrying about little things and stuff like that and, and not always treating people the way I should and, you know, I wish I'd be just, but, but of course life is never like that, you know, but, and actually I had breast cancer again in 2012 and it wasn't like that at all. I wasn't, I didn't have nearly the, uh, the ups and downs uh, after having done it once before. Hmm. In both cases I was lucky. I didn't have, uh didn't have to do chemo, you know, that something happened to me, came from beyond me and seized me and I had no control over it. It was grace, you know, it was, it was something that I needed, um, but I didn't expect, you know, and I thought, well, well, you know, we'll muddle through all this, but how am I, you know, but meanwhile, if I can't sleep, I can't think, and I can't teach, and I have to be in control of myself, obviously, and what's going to happen to everybody, who am I going to tell and when, you know, that just all just went away. All will be well, and and uh, and it was not. It was like it's it's bigger than you. There's more here than you can imagine. Uh, and here's a little bit of it for you right here. You know to know that that uh, you know going forward, whatever happens will be okay. And that's why I say all will be well. Yeah. Whatever that might be. Mm. You know, and, and and so it's really liberating because I didn't think I have got to make sure that they they cure me of this. Of course, you know if if I had. If it had been a worse experience, if I had had continuous chemo and all my hair had fallen out, I was really weak and sick and all kind of neat, you know, I, I I know that I would have been scared, but uh, but I just I just felt so strengthened by that and so aware that, that everything was okay, and that's all I know what to, to say about it. your faith is, you know, it's going to be enough. anointed your feet, the priests that were around showed their unhappiness and wanted to kill Lazarus because many people had placed faith in you. Today the world has turned into a battlefield where the strong oppressed the weak, hatred among nations because they don't know you. They don't know the love you spread around the world and the love you shared throughout your ministry. By washing the feet of your disciple, O Lord, you showed to the entire world that we should help one another, not to stand one against the other. Let your light shine upon the world that we should depart from blindness in order to follow the example you set for us. We pray for peace throughout the entire world. People dying in Syria, people dying in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Somalia, in Sudan, and recently we pray for people that have lost 
they are dear ones in the massacre that took place in Florida. All of us, we need your peace. We need your peace. We do not want to be judged. Let your peace dwell among us. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. When I first started playing, I was I was really young, and it was at our little country church in Bethlehem. You know, pretty much at that time, I was related to about everybody in the church. And um, then when I moved from there, uh, I really didn't play much anymore. Had a piano, but just for my own enjoyment. And then when I joined um, East Frankfort Baptist Church, they lost their pennants shortly after I, I was there. And I just told a friend of mine that I could help out sometime in a pinch. So she told the music minister. At that time, we were just having guest pianists on Sundays. Then one Wednesday night, he came and asked me if I would play. And I said, if I can pick the songs, because I hadn't played in, you know, for church or in public for years. So I did, and then it wasn't very long after that till he gave me a copy of the music offertory schedule, and my name was on it. <laughs> and I, so I, I, I said, are you serious? And I mean, when I got up to play that morning, I played um, Sheltered in the Arms of God. That's, that's the first one I played oh, yeah. as a solo. And um, I, I was sitting about four or five rolls back. And after I played for the offertory, I was shaking so bad that I couldn't make it back to my seat. I just had to stop and sit down on the front row. <laughs> and then after that, it wasn't very long till he just turned my name into the nominating committee, and I became the pianist, and I was pianist there for, well, until I joined Central. Um, so I played there about 14 years. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> And it all started with, I'll help out in a pinch. In a pinch. And the pinch never ended. Right. The pinch never ended. So every time anybody joined the church, I asked them if they played. And, uh, but so it lasted 14 years.
Thanks so much to everybody who helped out today. Thanks to Diane for her story. Thanks to CJ for playing for us. Thanks to Millie Wallace for reading scripture and Ben Condi for offering our prayer today. Wayfarer is a production of Central Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, a loving, healthy, and progressive gathering of Christians where everyone is welcome, no exceptions. Find out more about Central at lexcentral.com. This episode was produced by me, Aaron Austin. Thanks to everyone who joined in, and thanks to you for listening.